two television shows I'm going to mention this morning, and I'm going to be looking very closely to see who nods along to uh, which. One is more recent, one is more classic, but they're both great. The first one that comes straight at the top of the show, we're going to be thinking about Dragon's Den. I hope that even if you've not watched it, and I'm not going to ask to see who has, but I hope that even if you've not watched it, you know the concept of what Dragon's Den is all about. Someone uh, comes in with an idea, they've got a business pitch that they put before these five very wealthy investors and they want to see if, if they can get an investment in their idea, if these people are prepared to put their money into it, if they're going to um, invest in it and see it come to fruition. That's the basic idea of Dragon's Den. And every season they ramp up the tension. Uh, they've got a lift now, haven't they? So you use this camera, you see them all anxious and nervous as they're about to go in front of these five wealthy investors and lay their idea before them and try and see if they can get some kind of investment in their idea to take it on and to develop it. We're going to see, or have heard already in fact, in the first half of Ruth chapter 4, a business pitch that's put from one man to another. One person to another places a, an investment idea in front of someone else. And we're going to see that it's a bit like Dragon's Den. He's going to explain the benefits of this idea. But there's a twist. And we'll get to that in a little while. I just want to recap a little bit. If you haven't been here over the beginning of Ruth, how we've got to the point where we are now. There's a family from God's people in Israel called Elimelech and Naomi who had to leave and went to, chose to go to Moab when there was a famine. The father of the family and the two sons who by that point had married all died within a period of 10 years. And so Naomi, the mother, and one of her daughters-in-law, Ruth, who decides to cling on to Naomi and to help her travel back to Bethlehem in Israel. Whilst there, Ruth starts to work in a field in order to just gather up enough grain for them to survive. It turns out that this field belongs to a man called Boaz, who's a, a relative of theirs, and he's also a really godly man. And he's impressed by Ruth, her character, her love and commitment to Naomi, and things start to develop. And last week in chapter 3, we saw that Ruth and Naomi sort of push it up another notch. They go to Boaz in the night and they sort of force his hand, say, can you be the one who will redeem us into the family? Will you be the relative who will marry Ruth and will bring the family back into full membership of God's people with a, a hope and a future and an inheritance to enjoy? And we see in that special moment that Boaz responds favourably, that he loves Ruth and he wants to do what's best for Naomi and Ruth. He wants to do that he wants to bless them in that way. But there was still a little bit of a cliffhanger. If you were listening carefully last week, if you were here, you noticed it. Boaz says, yes, I would love to do that. I would love to be the one who blesses you in that way. But actually, there's an even closer relative than me. There's somebody else who has, as it were, the first right to redeem you. And it's only fair that we ask him first if he will be prepared to do that. And you can kind of feel uh, Boaz's heart being torn there. He's such a, uh, he's deliberately, I think, given to us as a very noble and honourable kind of guy. And he knows that's the right thing to do. He knows that according to the law, the right thing to do is to offer this uh, land and the process of redemption to the closer relative first before he gets his chance. But you can just feel it, how desperate he is to marry Ruth. And he must have been torn because he knows that's the right thing to do, but he's still in his heart. He loves Ruth. He is amazed by this incredible lady. 
And he doesn't want to let this other man be the one that welcomes them back into the family. He wants to marry Ruth. He wants to be the one that blesses them. And you can sort of feel him being torn between doing what he knows is the right thing and then doing the thing that he really wants to do, which is just to say, yes, I'll do it right now. And that's what we see uh, playing out this week. And what I love about Boaz is how real he is. That he does the right thing. (laughs) But he does it in a slightly sneaky way. (laughs) He does it in a dragon's den kind of way. So let's go there. If if you've got a Bible in front of you, do have it open if you want to, or just have a listen. I'll read it uh, as we go through Ruth chapter 4. We're going to see exactly how Boaz adds that twist to what is going on there. So he goes out to the town gate and he sees this man coming past. He knows who it is. He sees this man walking past and he invites him to come over and to sit down and to get this sorted. We're going to get this sorted, Boaz says. We're going to work out what's going on here. Are you going to be the redeemer or can I do it? The town gate was where they did their transactions. It was the dragon's den of the day where everyone could have seen. I don't think they had a lift, but they would have had some seats, probably not those big leather ones, but some, somewhere to sit where the people involved in the transaction would have come and the public around would have seen what was going on as a kind of witness uh, to any kind of transaction that happens. And so Boaz sits the man down and he pitches an idea to him. He decides to lay before this man his options. So he says, sit down, sit down here. Naomi, who's come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our kinsman Elimelech. So I thought I'd tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and the presence of the elders. If you redeem it, redeem it, but if you will not, tell me so that I may know. Now this land deal was quite a good proposition for this man. It's quite a good deal. In essence, he would get a cut price bit of land to add to his own uh, property in exchange, he thought, for looking after Naomi in her old age. Now, in that culture at that time, which is so different to us, and we've got to be aware of that gap, it was very important that the, for your family name to continue was such an important thing for posterity, for inheritance. And so for this man, there's not much risk of that with Naomi. She's not going to have any more children. She's not going to have any descendants. He can buy the lands, and then eventually when Naomi dies, it will simply be added to his property. It will become part of his family's inheritance if he buys this land, if he redeems it. In exchange, all he has to do is make sure that Naomi is cared for in her old age. He thinks. Now in the dragon's den, when someone pitches an idea... They put it in its best light. You can see them, they're so nervous. Some people have tried to memorise word for word what they're going to say and how they're going to present their pitch. Others uh, have a reading from notes. And they start off and it all sounds so good, this wonderful idea that no one else has ever had, a brilliant invention or business proposition. And they lay it before the, the dragons with all its best features and say, will you invest in my idea? Will you take up this business opportunity? Then the camera zooms in. And someone like Duncan Ballantyne, the grumpy Scottish man, is tapping on his money on the table. And the qu- a question will come back out. Do you own the patent for that? Do you own the worldwide licence? Is your business making any money yet? And then the camera will zoom back to the person who's presenting it, and they'll be sweating, 
and they'll be pulling at their fingernails, fumbling their answers, and it turns out there's some dreadful reason why this pitch is, is no good at all. It's been absolutely shedding money, or they've got no rights to sell it anywhere outside of the town they live, or some, some sort of twist will be there, which makes this what looked like quite a good business proposition actually is not worth what they thought it was. And it's always the drama of it, and they try to recover the situation and try to explain why it's still a good idea, and they should still put their money into it, they should still invest. And sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Well, how the way that Boaz does is that he scuppers the plan deliberately. He starts off with this wonderful pitch about, oh, well, Naomi's got this piece of land and you can redeem it and buy it and all the implications of that for your own property and all that you might have and the own inheritance for your own family. It's wonderful. And the man goes, yeah, this sounds great. Thank you very much. How kind of you to sit me down and explain to me what a wonderful offer I have here. That's fantastic. And he simply says, I will redeem it. Verse 4. Second TV show, Detective Columbo. (laughs) You know that thing where he's talking to the person who's obviously done it, and we all know that they've done it, he knows they've done it, they know they've done it, everyone in the show knows that they're the one who's done the murder, whatever it is. And he's talking to them, and it all seems fine, and then he he goes to leave, doesn't he? Every single time he goes to leave, gets to the door, he says, one more thing. Just one more thing, and that kind of unfolds, and it suddenly cracks the whole case, and that that one more thing changes the whole situation around. Well, this man says, yeah, I will redeem it. That sounds like a great deal. And Boaz just sits there, and he goes, "Uh, just one more thing. With this family, it's not just just Naomi, and not just the lamb, but there's a daughter-in-law as well, whose name is Ruth. The day you acquire the field from the hand of Naomi, you're also acquiring Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead man, to maintain the dead man's name on his inheritance. Now, the way that that is described to us sounds pretty bad. And, in a, you know, it's good that society, our culture, has moved on from that uh, acquisition idea of what's going on there with the whole family, including uh, Ruth. But at its heart, it's about preservation and welfare. At its heart, it's about making sure that actually in a subsistence patriarchal society that the widows weren't neglected and left with nothing. That actually if you're going to take on the land and the family, the family, you're going to redeem this family, bring them back into God's people, then you've got to take responsibility for all of them, not pick and choose the bits that help you. And Boaz says to him, actually if you buy this land, you're promising to redeem the whole family. You're promising to bring Ruth into your family and to marry her, to take up that role for her and to to actually help that family, hopefully, to have children and to have an inheritance and to have a name that continues and to have a future so that Naomi is not left without grandchildren and Ruth is not left without children. But actually, there are possibilities for this family. They have something. They have a future. They have a hope. They have an inheritance. And if you take the deal on the land, actually, the really important thing is that you also take on the responsibility for the family as well. At which point, this other man effectively says, I'm out. I was going to try and do that in a Scottish accent like Duncan Bannatyne, (laughs) but um, I'm not going to embarrass myself or you with that. He says, I'm out. Nice and simple. He says, I cannot redeem it for myself without damaging my own inheritance. Thank you. 
Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So when the deal was financially beneficial for this man, he was all for it. Quick as a shot. Yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, great. But as soon as he realizes that actually there's a responsibility there towards Ruth, and this could cost him in the long term, he backs out faster than a dragon tapping the money. I'm out. It's going to cost me. Ruth might have children. They would then inherit the land. This other person's name would be associated to it and carry on. I'm, I'm not prepared to pay that price to redeem them. It's not worth it for me. It's too costly. And I wonder how often we as Christians might even consider our own involvement in God's plans in those terms. It's a, it's a temptation to see what we have to offer in that kind of worldly sense. What's this going to cost me? What is in it for me? What will I enjoy about this particular ministry or this particular act of service? Or If I go out and actually want to share God's love with people, that's going to cost me because people might, might laugh at me, they might find it weird. It's such a temptation to value our ministry in the same way that 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 man does or the way that the world does and and we can all do it we can all do it to to think of ourselves first and think well this this is going to cost me either financially or in my time or my effort or my reputation if i if i let people know that i'm a christian and i want to share the fact that god loves them well that's that's going to cost me in my workplace or in my family because it's hard to say that it is costly to be a follower of god in a world that's by and large, turned away from the Lord. And that's why we have stories like this. Because we see that Boaz was a normal kind of guy. He was torn between doing the right thing that he knew God wanted him to do, even though he knew that wasn't what he really wanted. And yet he finds, what he discovers, is that in doing what God wants, actually the blessing comes his way anyway. Actually it's trusting God and walking God's ways that brings... Uh, to conclusion what he most wanted after all thank God for Boaz thank God for Ruth for people who are prepared to do what they know God would have them do but in doing that even at a cost they find God's blessing and God walking with them through it you see Boaz he took the sacrificial approach he embraced the opportunity to at his own cost love another to preserve someone else's family, to help someone else's inheritance and future and prospects. And in doing so, not only did he choose to accept that proposal from the most extraordinary Lady Ruth and get married to one of the most inspiring characters, individuals in in the whole of the Bible, he also married into God's plan for the world. God was going to work through Ruth's descendants to bring a much wider redemption. Because that's where this story is pointing us. If you remember back a few weeks, I talked about how the characters in this story, they're not pictures, posters for us to try and emulate. They're windows through which to see God's love for us. Framed for us in their lives so that we might know it for ourselves. Because next week, 
we get on to my favourite part of the whole story. You think, oh, what's your favourite part of the whole story, Tom? Is it the wedding ceremony, the joy and the delight? Is it, is it the food where things start to be provided? Is it the wonderful way that we see the love of Boaz and Ruth? And I say, no, none of those things are my favourite part. My favourite part is the genealogy, because I'm a historian, and I love it. And we're going to get there next week, but it is. And I'm going I'm I'm to go out there and say it as well. When you really think about it, the, the genealogy should be everyone's favourite part of the story. And I'm not going to say much about that next week because we're going to go back there next week. But here's a hint. Boaz and Ruth were going to have a son. And that son was going to have a son. And that son was going to have a son. And his name was David. And he was going to have a lot of sons. And eventually one of them was going to be called Jesus. And Jesus came for our redemption. Boaz is a picture of the cost that Jesus was prepared to pay to redeem you and me. He looked at the cost and he said, I'm prepared to pay that because I love you. I'm prepared to take that cost on myself, on the cross, to pay for the sins that you've done for the same reason that Boaz did for Ruth. To bring us into God's family. To give us a future. To give us a hope. To give us an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade. Boaz could never have known it. But in his life, by being faithful to God, he was painting a picture of the greatest redemption that was still to come 1,000 years later, 1,000 years later, the great Redeemer, the one who came and said, I will pay the ultimate cost because my love for you is so big. I will redeem you. I will bring you into the family. I will give you a place. I will give you a name and you will have a future, a hope and an inheritance in me. Isn't that just the most extraordinary thing to see? Redemption, the Redeemer, who loved us enough to save us by paying the greatest cost. When you picture Boaz's love for Ruth, and I hope you do, remember that that is only a tiny window onto the amount that God loves you. The cost that Boaz was prepared to pay is only a tiny reflection of the cost that Christ was prepared to pay to redeem you. And the future that he gave to Ruth and Naomi in this life was only a fraction of the future that Jesus Christ died for to give to us.